Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the podcast. This is Sean and Rachel. And although you won't hear much of Rachel today, she's behind the scenes producing. Uh, you're unfortunately going to hear a lot of me. Sean McVeigh here, and this is the Vet Med Mind. On the Vet Med Mind, we like to talk about and to people and institutions that are success stories in veterinary medicine. Coming out of COVID, and certainly having built my own career on working with practices that are troubled, shall we say, uh, it became clear to us that it's time to focus not so much on all the things that are broken in veterinary medicine, because we can see that there are things that we need to work on, but focus more on what is success. Uh, now, success changes for every single person. Uh, it's not about monetary success. It's not about physical success, although it can be the combination of all of those things. It can be work-life balance. We don't know what success means for you. We just know that uh, we want pe people to be successful. <laughs> and, and having, I, I've called it all my career, psychological paychecks in veterinary medicine, that because we are a profession that historically can't or isn't able to pay like tech companies can pay, the onus is on us to provide psychological paychecks for our employees. And I believe that part of psychological paychecks is human development, mental development, psychological development, social development, any kind of bonus that you can give somebody in their life to give them a leg up, a push up, or a bit of encouragement along the way is part of what I would call success. And so our guest today is, uh, I'm going to say, right, DC Castillo, right? I did yep, say it you got correctly because that's a nice, um, what German name, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very German. <laughs> I saw yeah. all the I saw all the Italian people in your family when I stalked oh, yeah. you on Facebook. Yeah, uh, and I know part of the DC is Daniel, but is it is is DC for Daniel Castillo or is that your name? What's how do you it's, say your name? It is for Daniel Castillo, and okay. I get that question every single time that somebody asks what DC stands for. It's not my middle name. Uh, it's definitely just Daniel Castillo Castillo, if you really said it out loud. All right. Got it. Got it. And uh, DC is with Live Oak Bank. And before I kind of let him get into his story, I want to share a little bit about Live Oak Bank and why they would be a participant in a success story uh, in veterinary medicine, because many of you might be like a bank. We're going to talk to a bank and a banker, but we are because um, here's what most of you probably need to know or don't know about veterinary medicine success stories behind almost every great entrepreneur is some form of a bank. Unless you come from money to start up a veterinary hospital is very, very cost intensive, anywhere from, you know, at a minimum, a quarter of a million dollars, not even counting real estate, to upwards to two and a half million dollars, if you have lots of heavy imaging equipment to buy, etc. So it is not for the faint of heart. It's just a lot to do and a lot of risk. And we know on the inside, that people and animals will come and it all works out. But it's very different to take out a multi-million dollar loan than to take out, say, a $100,000 loan. Both of those things can be scary. When I was first starting as a hospital owner in veterinary medicine, uh, my partner and I, Dr. Jason Troutwine, we spent a lot of time with this little company that specialized in SBA loans. Uh, and this little company called Live Oak Bank. And really, they just helped us access and became friends with us and helped us access money that was available to us through the Small Business Administration. And, you know, I've kept up with Live Oak Bank through many iterations. We look back now and, and Daniel will tell you exactly how many loans they service now. But I know that we were like number 9, 10, 11, 12 
somewhere in that in that region, like the first 25 loans that this particular bank, Live Oak Bank, uh, did in veterinary medicine. And they have grown, like grown, 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 grown. DC comes to us through our association with veterinary growth partners. Uh, and Live Oak Bank is a sponsor of and supporter of veterinary growth partners. And so it's kind of a full circle moment. And while DC hasn't been there from the very beginning since I've been there, nobody has because of just old. Uh, he is a, a, a member of the new generation. And I can't believe I'm old enough to say this, but there is a new generation of people coming in veterinary medicine. And why I wanted to talk to you, DC, was to me, you define success in that you have a lot of enthusiasm for your job. You're motivated by your job. You seem happy in your job. You seem like an ambassador for the company. You seem genuinely engaged and happy to be there and passionate about what you do. For all those reasons, um, I wanted to talk to you. So that's a longer introduction than we've ever done. So tell us, DC, a little bit about yourself and Live Oak Bank and do you feel like you're a successful part of that success? No, thank you so much for the introduction. Yeah, we, I think it was like in the top 50 loans, you were in one of the first 50 loans that we had done. Yeah. Uh, but that was all the way back in 2008 when the bank started. Um, what a year to start a bank, uh, right? In the financial decline in 2008. Uh, somehow we got through it. And one of the big reasons was our bank started as a veterinary only bank. And by starting as a veterinary only bank, our founders, realized it's the safest industry to lend to out of all the industries, or at least it was at the time. I think right now it's changed a little bit, but it's still top three at the absolute worst, if not top two. They also found a little niche with the SBA program that they realized a lot of lenders weren't taking advantage advantage of because everybody hears, as you kind of alluded to, SBA loans are slow. And our founders realized, hey, if we can become more efficient with that process, help our borrowers through it, have all of our teams verticalized. And when I say verticalized, industry-based. So as I mentioned, we started as vet only. We've grown into 30 different industries now. But wow, 30, with, like, are they all medicine or what? Uh, no, they're not all medicine. Uh, we do do healthcare, so dentists, and we do do some medical doctors, uh, but it really spreads out quickly from there. Uh, Self-storage, wine and craft beer, which is breweries, wineries, uh, oh. investment advisories, all, all across the board. And now we actually even have a team that we call our generalist team, and they can actually do a loan to any industry. Um, so it's it, we have really expanded very quickly. But when I started at the bank in 2016, I had started as a loan closer, uh, which we often call the hardest position at the bank because you're basically the person preventing a person that got approved for a loan from getting their money. And the mm. reason I'm saying that is because when you start the loan process, you'll work with a loan officer. That's our salespeople. They'll send it to our underwriters who underwrite the deal and they submit it to our credit officers who will then go ahead and either approve it or decline the loan. Mm -hmm. Once a loan gets approved, that's when you start the closing stage. And so once you close your loan, that's when you get your money at the end of that closing stage. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of, as a closer, you're kind of stuck in that middle point of somebody's approved for the funds, but they can't quite have it yet. So it's off. And that's also where a lot of the documentation comes in as well that you have to submit and we have to make sure all the forms are correct and everything. So it's it's a very tough role, but you definitely learn a lot and you definitely learn the SBA process very, very well. Um, so I spent about two years there. And then in 2018, I moved into underwriting. 
Uh, so I got to learn the more front end side of things, how how we structure loans, how we analyze these loans, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I got to kind of be an in-between between our sales team and our credit officers kind of, we still want to push loans forward, but we still also want to make sure they're good loans. Uh, and that was a, another very big learning experience. And then I kind of realized I was like, I either have to go into management or find a new path. And that's when I joined the sales team uh, with the veterinary team. And all of these years I've been with the veterinary team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have, I've, it's been, gosh, seven years now, I guess, that I've been working in the veterinary industry. Look um, at you, an old man in his 30s. I, wow. well, I think when you were here at our campus, uh, I had mentioned, yeah, when I walk around, I feel like the old man because everybody is so much younger than me now. And I just turned 30 last month, so it's not, <laughs> it, it, it's pretty crazy. But now on the yeah, sales well, it's, side, a, it's a young, growing company. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been growing fast. I think I started as employee like around 300. And I think we're over 1,200 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in seven years, it's really been a rapid growth. And what percentage of Live Oak's uh, volume of loans is now veterinary medicine? Do you know out of you know those verticals? I do. Uh, so last year, we did over $4 billion as a bank as a whole, uh-huh. uh, which is great. It was our bank's record last year. And then our veterinary team, we did just shy of $200 million. Um, and I mean, if you spread that across 30 different verticals, I, I mean, that's a very impressive number It's actually our veterinary team's highest ever, which was amazing. And, uh, the last two years have been just nonstop, a lot of work, a lot of people looking, needing more space because of COVID everybody adopted dogs. You yeah, tell know. us a little bit about that, about the, about what you like, what's happened in veterinary medicine and what's the landscape like right now for veterinarians and obtaining money? Because in this particular podcast, we're talking about uh, the success of Live Oak Bank and Live Oak Bank is a bank that specializes in providing money to uh, institutions that are in business. And, and one of them and their founding business was veterinary medicine. So uh, what, what's the state of veterinary folk who are trying to get money out there? Because, you know, veterinarians historically, are debt adverse (laughs) Mm -hmm. and historically will, you know, keep the carpet from the 1970s rather than, you know, buy some new tile. Uh, But the customer isn't necessarily in that same place. So uh, how are we doing out there? A record amount of loans happening? So COVID really accelerated things. Um, You can kind of even go back to the year 2000. That was kind of about where a lot of regular pet owners started to care more and more about their pets to where they started to be willing to spend more and more. And then it can kind of get into a generational thing where millennials and whatever the generation is after. Careful now, those are all my kids. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I wish I was still there with them, but uh, they are all typically having kids later in life or statistically, I should say having kids later in life. And mm-hmm. a lot of them, when they go off to college or when they get out of college and are young professionals, they're adopting pets. And mm-hmm. they start looking at those pets as their kids. I have three mm-hmm. pets myself. I do not have kids. So I fall mm-hmm. right into that stereotype. Uh, I would do anything for my pets. Uh, I would spend any dollar if it, if it came to that. And it's just been a huge transition to where people are willing to spend a lot more on their pets. And then COVID drastically accelerate everything. Everybody and their moms adopted a dog in COVID during the lockdown because they had time at home. Um, And now we've seen just veterinarians have 
reached capacity in their buildings. Uh, they either need to hire more staff or more doctors, or their building is just not big enough for them to see the amount of incoming calls that they're getting and they're having to turn away uh, new clients. Mm -hmm. And that's caused a, a, a positive shift for me because now we are able, we, we've been doing a lot of new loans for existing businesses to get larger buildings, buy land, build a second mm -hmm. location, uh, just lease a, the building next door to expand, get more square footage so they can have more exam rooms to see more people. Then we've also seen a lot of startups come up, um, just associates looking, getting away from the corporate side of things start their own practice. And that that's a whole other thing I could get into. Well, actually, let's let's talk about that a little bit, because I think it, it on the tip of any conversation around success in veterinary medicine, especially if you're going to measure it financially or numbers of locations or things like that, there is going to be this corporate versus whatever isn't corporate. And right. so, you know, I have always felt like a, a, a corporation can only become what it becomes if it fills a void in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. uh, just that's kind of economics 202. However, I think in all industries, there's backlash, you know, it goes one way and the pendulum swings back the other way. And, and, and uh, so are you seeing a lot more, because back in the day, the reason that corporations, I put air quotes out there, uh, you guys can't see that, but the reason that corporations pro proliferated was it was very hard to find owners who were coming up out of school who were qualified to take on the debt, willing to take on the debt, or willing to become owners. And my hunch is now that veterinary medicine at a corporate level has received a few dings psychologically and or um, perception-wise, are there now younger kids who are coming out and saying, the heck with it, I'm going to take the risk. Because if my option is only to work at a corporation, then I'll go hang my own shingle out like the old time vets did and see if I can do it. Is that what you're seeing happening? I have seen a lot of a shift away from corporations. Um, the past few years, a lot of corporations were just buying veterinary practices because they're so profitable. They have strong margins. Uh, it's a great investment. It's kind of why we lend to veterinary hospitals. Sure. sure. Um, but along with that, over the past few years. And they were also offering just unbelievable purchase prices. It was just unreal what some of the numbers we were seeing. And you can't fault a practice owner for taking a deal from corporate when they're offering them X millions of dollars. Correct. Uh, whereas a private per, uh, buyer would not be able to afford that. And no, no bank no. would lend to that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, but along with that kind of bad corporations, I'm doing air quotes as well. Uh, mm. It it does change the culture of places sometimes um, mm. to where they're doing a broad set of rules and regulations for several practices all across the country rather mm. than specialized sets of rules and regulations. And that causes cultural issues within these practices. And so for a lot of veterinarians and veterinary folks, they don't define success as this perception of being micromanaged. Uh, they, for them, some of their success, as you're seeing it, is still about the freedom to right. practice and manage how their values draw them to do so. They don't want they, what they perceive to be the constraints of a corporation. And also, 
the corporation may be offering them a much higher salary and a very large signing bonus um, to entice these people to get in there. But then the bad side of that is a lot of times there's non-competes that mm. are a 10 mile radius from that location. And if you live in that 10, 10 mile radius and you do decide to do something else outside of that corporation, you then have to possibly move um, or just find a practice and commute a longer distance. Mm -hmm. And that changes uh, that that makes it tough for these veterinarians to decide to leave. Um, However, we have seen that shift away from it just due to just differences in culture from corporate life versus probably whoever owned their practice previously. And we've seen a lot of associates working to find either relocate, like I said, outside of their non-compete or do a startup outside of where their non-compete prohibits. Um, We've seen a large shift to that. And then also a lot of, uh, I was at uh, VMX down in Orlando and I had like three college students um, that are in vet school right now uh, come over and just introduce themselves because they knew right away they wanted to try to get into ownership. So I have seen it be younger doctors are trying to look into ownership and trying to not have to go the corporate route. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting, another definition of success because there are many people in the corporate route that would say, Hey, it brought me stability. It brought me hours and, and I don't have that. So it's, we're here to talk about success. So I think there's nothing wrong with working for one of the corporate entities. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying as a whole, that's been kind of a different dynamic that's come out in the past few years. But I, yeah. think it's, I think it's great because the more choices that people have mm-hmm. in veterinary medicine, because that's really what we're hearing here about success too, is used to be when you were a veterinarian or a veterinary nurse or a, a CSR, you had only one career choice and that is work for the doc in town, you know, and whoever he mostly or or she were, and you kind of work for them, hopefully for 30 years and you get what they, what you get. You know, there, right. there wasn't this thing of a career path for veterinary professionals. And, and I think that in a time when so many veterinary employees are lamenting the changes that are happening, you know, there's so much going on and it's happening and it's not like it used to be. Yes, that is true. And we should also celebrate, I think, that it's not like it used to be. Because you have options now, just like mm-hmm. every other career person used to have, you know, or you, we envisioned, you know, that somebody who was in accounting had all these choices. Somebody who was in uh, real estate had all these choices. Well, now in veterinary medicine, I think you have all these choices, including taking your veterinary degree and deciding to go work at a bank if you wanted. I mean, yeah. that would be I, I could envision somebody could take their veterinary degree and say, you know what, I've done 20 years of this and now I want to go work in industry somewhere. We, so, uh, we actually have three veterinarians that work at our bank. Um, two of them are our board members, uh, mm-hmm. but then one of them is in our special assets group, which mm-hmm. is kind of the group you don't want to be in. That's usually when your loan's getting close to defaulting yeah. Yeah. and they're the group that's trying to help you out. Uh, uh, but Dr. Carol Hart does an amazing job with those borrowers. Um, and she'll go out to the practice and give you, I mean, she'll she'll be blunt about it and tell you what's yep, show you what how to run a correction. Yes. And start and, charging. Um, Stop buying so many drugs and supplies. You know, uh, get your labor costs in line. Uh, and actually show up at work and do it anyway. We're gonna go off right. on the whole thing. Um, success. 
right now, but we hear a lot of people because we at VGP work with practices on the front line and we have lots of coaches mm -hmm. right now. And a lot of them are struggling with uh, hard to recruit and lower volume of business. Like veterinary practices have done what they did in the mid nineties to the early aughts. And that is they've raised fees a lot, but they haven't changed the value proposition necessarily. Meaning, you know, unless you look at imaging, which of course, you know, gets better every six months because of technology, yeah. Uh, yeah. there's still, we're starting to get a lot of price resistance right now from clients who are saying, you know what, if you're going to charge me this much, I'm actually going to go to a lower cost one that identifies that way. And, or, um, and this is what they're really doing is they're seeing the veterinarian less amount of times in a year. You know, so instead of three visits right. a year, we're back to getting one a year from those clients that are cost conscious. And unless you have a particular strong bond with your client, like the vet that's been with them for 20 years, mm -hmm. there's actually people now who are leaving for price shopping reasons. And so are you, it's very micro to the operations of the clinic, but are you getting any kind of that sense at the 10,000 foot level that you look at things that there is a little post COVID, there was lots of visits. And now the visits have come down a bit because people are responding to uh, what they perceive to be inflation and potential recession, et cetera. Or is that nowhere in your mind's eye in the seat you sit at? Oh, it's absolutely front and center. Uh, we still haven't seen really a decline in the cash flow of businesses or in the revenues, mm -hmm. um, but it is something that we have been kind of monitoring over the past year or so, we've noticed that. And I think that's also due to younger people getting dogs from the lockdown with COVID mm -hmm. and not really having the funds available to make constant visits to the veterinarian. And they, maybe they shouldn't have gotten a dog at that time, but that's just the world we live in. Mm -hmm. But uh, moving away from that, yes, it, it, it is something that we are seeing. Uh, and I, I mean, personally, I know people that do that as well. They just don't want to pay that amount for their dog, um, especially for regularly scheduled checkups and stuff. Like usually people will wait now until it's worst case scenario, which is not the correct way to go about it. Mm -hmm. However, on our end, things are still moving up. Um, we haven't seen it truly affect practices except for maybe smaller practices. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as just a regular general practice as a whole in the industry, doing it okay. hasn't been, yeah, they're still doing okay financially, but they are probably noticing that. And also another thing that kind of comes out of that, I think people kind of expect more out of the practice in terms of the employees, how they treat the customers, how the doctors mm -hmm. treat the customers, how they treat each other. So they what, want good service and good communication if you're going to charge. And them. also a good building. I think a mm -hmm. lot of people steer towards that. Amen. But that does come with higher costs because you are. But some people will go to a cleaner building, whereas the mm -hmm. cheaper option might be a little bit dirtier. It kind of depends on the client. So the, the value customer. is the perception that we get more than what we paid for. And so it, it doesn't matter what the price is. It matters it matters that perception that I got more than I paid for. So it's a, right. and so I, I just thought it would be interesting because I, I predicted in my mind's eye that your answer would be something similar to that. And I'm pointing out to our listeners that we tend to be naysayers and doomsday people in veterinary medicine. We tend to be the sky is falling whenever we are confronted with even the slightest economic blip or hiring blip or, or, 
macro trend that hits all businesses, we tend to put on the brakes, stop everything, work harder and continue to give things away <laughs> uh, as a way of managing that stress. And mm-hmm. I just want to point out to our listeners that, you know, from a banking perspective where these people get paid to monitor trends, they're not seeing gross fallout uh, from what's happening in medicine right now. And inflation. We know you are being hit uh, uh, listeners by rising labor costs. We know you are being hit by rising material costs. What every other business is doing is unfortunately passing that cost onto the consumer, which is what you have to do, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of want to put that out there. Success is not always about doing what's comfortable. You know, I will also add the practices that are that we typically might see are struggling usually have some other issue than prices are different or the rebuffing clients from coming in. It's multifaceted, not just the economy. Yeah. Hey, so talk to us a little bit, DC, about uh, what does a successful loan candidate look like for you guys? Like, you know, like, like I'm sure you do, like we do in a veterinary hospital, we know in most of our hospitals, like who our ideal client is, you know, she is 42 years old and she has three kids and she lives in an affluent suburb and she, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, what do you guys have kind of an ideal veterinary client or? Well, preferably as a bank, you're hopefully really rich, but that's not everybody. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no, obviously we'd like to see a borrower that has at least a couple years of of experience as a veterinarian. And this is me talking to it as if somebody's trying to come to me for a startup. If it's an existing practice, I can get into that as well. But if -hmm. somebody's looking to get into practice ownership, um, I mean, we don't really care how old you are. We do want you to have some experience, at least as a veterinarian. And then also preferably as like a director of of something at the practice where you're actually involved in the business operations. You're not just there being a veterinarian. We want to So know- do you guys, sorry, but do you guys give loans for veterinary hospitals to people who are partnered with veterinarians if they're not necessarily the veterinarian? Yes. And I actually meant to touch on that when you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, Cause I'm not a vet. That's why I'm yeah. putting that out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so we do do loans for non-veterinarians, but they do need to be partnered with a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I just last year had done a loan for a practice manager um, in Lakeland, Florida, and she was partnered with one of her associates at the practice they were working in. They, they didn't do a startup. They had purchased a practice. Um, mm-hmm. however, she's a rock star and you can tell right away. And that's, that's the one thing our bank has as a saying is we look for the eye of the tiger in our borrowers. Uh, and so we always try um, to see bum, bum, bum. in that first, <laughs> in that first 10 minutes, usually you can tell this person knows exactly what they're doing and they're going to be great at starting this practice or mm-hmm. right away. I'll be like, ah, this person's kind of on the fence for me. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to handle taking on this loan and yeah. taking over a practice. So you look for confidence and understanding right. of a PL, um, and understanding of the power of money and that money is a resource, not necessarily something to be afraid of. Right. Um, so, it, so I'm reiterating for our listeners that there's this mystification around money in veterinary medicine that tells us that 
Some people have access to it and some people don't. Folks, if you've ever read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I, I, I strongly recommend that you go read that book because in veterinary medicine, we are surrounded by poor dad mentality. And what, what that means is we view money as a scarcity, something that we must hoard, hold on to that will go away from us. And the premise of Rich Dad, Poor Dad is that People who are exposed to money and have money, we've heard that adage, it takes money to make money. Almost always, they've made this fundamental shift in their head. And let's not throw any shade here. You have to have money to experience what it's like to have money. But I am saying that when you have money and begin to see it as a resource and no longer something that is a scarcity, because folks, there's a lot of money out there, <laughs> a lot of money. People want to give money to veterinarians. This is why I wanted to talk to you because as a veterinarian or a veterinary employee who has expertise, you have a value and a skill set that is quantifiable. And, and go out there and see a bank like Live Oak or any other bank because they will, you don't have to languish in this idea of I'm stuck working for someone and I'm never going to get out. Uh, as a veterinarian or as a competent, I will say, veterinary manager, uh, you know, you might need, maybe you can be a nurse and a customer service representative and, and partner with a veterinarian. But I think what the veterinarian lacks is business management skills. So if you can be that component and rally some veterinarians to your side who want to work but not for a corporation. Get two or three veterinarians together as a savvy business manager and then go talk to Live Oak Bank. You know, set yeah. it up. Go call DC and say, I want to open my own business. These, I think you want to help them, right? Uh, yes, please. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, startups have been a very big thing that we've seen the past few years, along with the expansions of existing practices, getting second locations or new buildings that are larger than their existing one. But startups have been very, very uh, common recently with associates looking to get their own practice going. Uh, one thing about Live Oak that's a little bit different uh, from what some other lenders can offer you. If you're buying real estate using this SBA product, we can actually get you a loan for 25 years would be the term of the loan. Um, and then also we are actually able to give you enough working capital to get you through that entire first year. Uh, we want to make sure you have enough working capital to cover those expenses while your practice is really starting to ramp up and get to the point where it becomes a fully functioning, efficient practice. That first mm -hmm. year is always the toughest part and having that working capital um, is very essential. And some lenders that are more conventional lenders hesitate giving out working capital, um, which I, I understand because it's money you're giving to somebody and you don't have any understanding of where they're going to be putting mm -hmm. those funds. Uh, whereas with an SBA loan, and this is the reason why SBA loans are attractive as a lender is because there's a 75% guarantee by the government. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So if we did a $1 million loan and it defaulted the next day, you're going to get uh, 750 back. Yeah. yeah. The government will pay for it as long as we met all their rules and regulations. And that's why SBA loans are so sure. document heavy because it's, the government is the one that's really on mm -hmm. the hook for a lot of this money. Um, but because of that, uh, it gives us uh, a little bit more comfortability with mm -hmm. lending more money than are more money than we would conventionally. And, and so yeah. to veterinarians who are out there who are in school debt, 
Uh, don't let that stop them from going mm. to you to uh, get a building loan or a practice loan or whatever it is, because I think you view them as kind of separate entities, even though it's part of the total package, right? And, and even if you do have a lot of school debt, we realize that's for your profession. Um, that's one thing with us being so industry-based and verticalized where I only work with veterinarians. Our team understands you went to school to become a veterinarian, which is a highly specialized thing. You're mm -hmm. going to have a lot of debt because of that. And we can look past that. Um, whereas some other lenders may not totally understand that because they're not specialized with doctors or veterinarians or people that need specialized degrees. Mm -hmm. So what's uh, what's the future you think for Live Oak Bank and for veterinary medicine? If you had to like, look, look down the horizon, what trends do you see continuing happening? What are you, any unexpected things you see happening uh, relative to the banks of veterinary medicine? Because I know interest rates have creeped up a little bit again. And so yeah. that always frees people out. Um, I tell people, because I'm the economist, I'm actually not at all, but I tell people that I think, you know, the market's going to settle down a little bit after or as we get into the next presidential election. Um, you know, so we're really just a couple of years away from that. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't view the economy right now as drastically bad. I actually think right. that inflation is it's made up inflation, meaning artificial from supply chain stuff. And for so long, we've kept wages suppressed. Uh, so we've had to catch up. But I think, you know, unemployment is really low. Um, you know, there's there's money to be had. So what is from your seat? How does the economy look moving forward for vet practices? Right. Well, last year we saw the prime interest rate double very quickly within just a few months. Um, and now it's really started to start to plateau a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, not to say it won't continue to go up. I'm not saying that it might not go down in the next year or so. Mm -hmm. um, but it has started to not change as frequently. And that has slowed down, which is great because now people can be a little bit more confident when they are going to get loans. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the economy moving forward, I mean, it's, I do agree, usually in election year, things kind of slow down, especially when the current president can run again. Mm -hmm. um, he wants to try to keep everything in the best shape as possible in the months leading up to it. And that that's a completely separate conversation. But, yeah, but, but predictability, the market responds to predictability and consistency. Right. And I mean, in the past two weeks, we've seen like all the banks that have been struggling, uh, like SVB, um, Signature, uh, the strong, the good, strong banks have done very well and kind of held off a big drop. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's not two thousand. That, that's that's a very yeah, that's a very positive sign that there wasn't an immediate crash due to those things. Uh, so I, I'm optimistic about it. I mean, interest rates are what they are. But if you look at historically where interest rates were, like, let's just say uh, in like the 80s and 90s, at some point, some people were getting 22% loans. I, mean, I remember. Yeah. No, I do. So, my my very first home loan was 14 and a half percent. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Which, yeah. And, and I was happy to get it because it was down right. from like 17%. Yeah. Right. So, and that, so was, it, that was 1991. I would yeah. say historically, where we're at right now in the prime rate, it's probably around the median range. Uh, mm -hmm. We were just so low for so long that mm -hmm. people got used to that. 
So when it did climb up so quickly, it was shocking, a big shock. And it was also drastic because of how quickly it went up yeah. rather than a, a gradual climb. So and that with, all, with all the other prices that went up, you know, from eggs to everything else. So I right. think, you know, what we're saying, audience, is that we are a bit reactionary right now, but the underlying data shows that the economy isn't in bad shape. It is, mm -hmm. you know, it's not the best it's ever been, but there's some leveling off that had to happen and some stabilization. Right. Um, all right. So we traditionally, DC, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, we try and keep it like 30 to 40 minutes around there. Uh, what we do, though, is we ask a few uh, going away questions, kind of rapid fire. So you ready for that? I'll do my best. Uh, what your go-to snack at an airport at an airport mm -hmm. i i don't want to say that's a take five candy bar usually <laughs> it's trail mix but take five is what i always really want there i just talk myself out of it <laughs> and you're you're a traveling man on the road what hotel brand and what rental car brand are you loyal to i'm a marriott person and then our our bank uses nav national and enterprise so that's, right. that's so bonvoy and national to. see so i'm mm. i'm i'm bonvoy and um hertz is, is okay. where, where my loyalties go okay um let's see cat or dog person uh i have both but i would uh, say dog i uh, used to be dog. cat though which is kind of interesting but uh, uh -huh. once we got our puppy she's she's my little baby <laughs> okay all right and uh what's your favorite kind of booze <laughs> <laughs> well if it depends, I normally will just drink red wine, any type of red wine I love, but um, because you're Italian, right? <laughs> yes, very Italian. And uh, but my wife makes an amazing espresso martini, and that's just been that's my favorite drink. So I always have to start um, off with one of those if we're going going out to dinner. Okay, well, an espresso martini and red wine sounds like a good time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today and uh, for being a guest on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks a lot for having me, Sean. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker, it could be the person who cleans your hospital, uh, it, it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but um, always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life what's going on in their vet med mind <laughs> <laughs>